Hello and welcome to the Forward Firefighter Podcast. Here you can listen in on discussions with volunteer firefighters in Wisconsin and across the nation. Hear their stories, learn about the communities they serve, and what it takes to be a volunteer firefighter. Welcome to the Forward Firefighter Podcast, episode number six, featuring Lane Hines. In this episode, we will discuss a few different topics, but the main focus is on PTSD in the fire service. Lane has an extensive career in the fire service, filling many different roles in several communities, and maintains a focus on personal growth and education. He currently serves the Associate Degree Program of Blackhawk Technical College in Janesville, Wisconsin, as a fire protection technical instructor. Lane's personal experience with PTSD and his passion for teaching has given Lane the drive to share his story here in the hopes that he may be able to reach many of you who may be struggling right now. You are not alone. Lane is married to Lena and has two daughters, Ava and Allie, and a dog named Max. You can read this full bio in the show notes, but let's get to the episode. This is Dan from the Forward Firefighter Podcast. Today I am interviewing Lane Hine at the Blackhawk Technical College. Lane Hine is an instructor here. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Dan. Glad to have you on here, and I uh, can't wait to hear about some of the stories you have. Um, I got to know you because I took a National Fire Academy class, Company Officer Tactics class, I believe. There's a couple different ones that were out there, but uh, I took that in La Crosse during the State Firefighters Convention, and I thought you did an excellent job, and we got to talk afterwards, and I convinced you to be on the show because during that class, you had some awesome stories to share, and I was hoping that you could share some of those stories on our podcast here, too. Yeah, I look forward to doing that today. Awesome. So you're an instructor here in the fire service program at Blackhawk Technical College. So tell me a little bit about that, what you do here, what your role is. Yeah, I've been teaching for Blackhawk Tech since early 2000 um, as a part-time instructor uh, teaching the state of Wisconsin curriculum, non-credited classes. Um, last summer, I got hired full-time in July uh, to teach the associate's degree for fire protection technician um, associate's degree program here. So my responsibility is to teach all the students coming into the associate's degree program. And we have 16 different classes. And when I say 16, it's not 16 of the same classes. It's actually 16 separate classes that the students will go over in hopefully a two year period or four semesters. Uh, But what we're finding is that more students are spreading it out and extending it um, over three or four year Mm, period. So I'm teaching that as well as um, Helping out in other um, areas, um, we are in the middle of developing our public safety training facility uh, that is near completion of the phases. Still a few more things to go, but um, trying to build a, a new training facility uh, to complement our program for police, fire, and EMS here. At oh, wow. That's cool. So the students that you have, uh, would you say most of them are you know coming right out of high school, or do you have a, a good range of, of students as age-wise? I would say right now, 90% of the students are under the age of uh, 20, 18 okay. to 20. Some of them are just right out of um, high school, graduated. I do have, I would say about five or six students right now that are still in high school, juniors or seniors that are coming over at different times uh, to take the classes and going through 
the college bound. I'm not mm-hmm. sure the, the right name, but the classes that are offered through the high school and they're coming over to start their associate degree program here at Blackhawk sure. science program. Sure. That's great. So um, this is the students that are looking to be, you know, career firefighters, potentially and paramedics. Are there any students that um, are that, that you guys serve through the Blackhawk Technical College for, you know, area volunteer departments and things like that, too? Yeah, the students that I see are primarily looking to go into the profession mm-hmm. of um I, I'm just going to say fire science. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, that could be anywhere from a firefighter to an inspector to an investigator, all the different possibilities there. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't typically see ones that are just coming in to be on the volunteer department. Mm-hmm. A lot of those individuals will come and take the non-credit classes mm-hmm. and take that, take that route. Um, there have been some in the past that are in another degree program, but may take the EMT class, sure. um, which I don't teach. That's a, another um, program in itself here at mm-hmm. Blackhawk. Mm-hmm. Um, but they'll be in another program, take the EMT, and then continue on their associate's degree in another field. Uh, there are some that will be in a program here, but then take a non-credit EMT, or not EMT, but a firefighter um, Firefighter 1, Firefighter 2, um, Motor Pump Operator, and still join a department, but they're going in another sure. another direction. Sure, that makes sense. Awesome. So uh, you're doing this, you said, for about a year now? Just yeah, I've been here full-time uh, teaching for a year, but yeah. been teaching the fire science program uh, since early 2000 sure. at Blackhawk. Right. So what do you like so far about having been uh, able to focus on this as a full-time uh, opportunity? When you look back at my background obviously you can see education has played a big role in it mm-hmm. you know starting back in college getting my degree in education teaching in the uh, k-12 setting for uh, two and a half years always teaching but now i can take two things that i have a passion for which would be education as well as you know fire mm-hmm. and i can combine them and do actually something that i enjoy coming to work every day and doing day in and day out mm-hmm. um it's sitting there and taking my experience taking my knowledge passing it on to the next generation because I feel in the fire service, we don't do that. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of people with a lot of knowledge, a lot of expertise. And when they walk out the door, when they retire or resign or whatever the reason is, they walk out the door, you got to ask yourself, did they share that and pass that knowledge on? Mm -hmm. And in today's world in the fire service, there's a lot of things that we don't know. Mm-hmm. I always stress the importance, you know, even the National Fire Academy, I'll ask one of the first questions is, when was your last structured fire? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, a lot of them have very few. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you look at the more veteran and I'm like, okay, how often were you getting fires 5, 10, 15 years ago compared to today? Mm-hmm. And we just aren't seeing those numbers. Mm-hmm. So it's like taking that knowledge and experience and passing it along to the next generation that's where I get the gratification because I can take my knowledge and portray that and hand that off to that next group and hopefully they can do the same and it'll just trickle down effect mm-hmm. as we go on in the fire service. Right. Yeah, I really thought of that too. You know, when, when was your last house fire? And mm-hmm. we we don't see as many barn fires, house fires as we so even in our department in Columbus. And I remember when I first joined, it wasn't too long after I, you know, I completed the entry levels and you could you could actually go and enter a structure. Um, we had quite a few number of fires to get some experience in quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's a hard thing now for some new people to join because they don't get that experience right away. And you, you take a look at over the years and we look how building construction has changed. You know, people want it fast, they want it cheap, and they want it now. 
you know, and when we get these calls and with structure fires, we're not able to be interior like we used mm-hmm. to be because by the time we get there and when research has shown that you're getting flashover stages at the four to six to eight minute mark, mm-hmm. I always ask in my classes, where are you at? You know, if the fire made the 911 call and say, hey, I'm starting now, especially in the volunteer departments, where are you at at four minutes? Where are you at at six minutes? Mm-hmm. Where are you at at eight minutes when that flashover is occurring? So the time to go in and do that. And the other thing we look at too, to be more effective and efficient, we also have to ask ourselves, what's our risk benefit analysis? Are we gonna risk a lot to save a lot, risk little to save mm-hmm. a little, risk nothing to save nothing? And our roles have changed mm-hmm. on, we don't have to go in, you know, because we're taking risks that are unnecessary. We're killing our brothers and sisters by making not so good decisions. I'm not gonna use sure. another term, but we're not making the right decisions. We're looking at the data, we're getting educated, and the fire is just telling us, you can't come in here. I'm too big, you gotta fight me from the outside now. Mm-hmm. So there's been a lot of changes in strategy and tactics to make it so what we used to be able to go in and do, we can't anymore. Mm-hmm. And some of that, you know, we push the limits. I, my personal opinion is so that's because of technology. Mm-hmm. When you look at how, and I use the example in class, when you go back to when you first started fighting fire and you had the leather coat and you had the three quarter boots and you had the, if you want to see the moccasin hat, you didn't have a Nomex hood, you didn't have a breathing apparatus. And so when you sit there and your ears got burnt, it was time to get out. Mm-hmm. And now with our technology, we're getting in there deeper, we're getting in there longer, but we don't have the experience to read the fire, listen to the fire and know what that fire is gonna do. And that's when we're getting into trouble. Mm-hmm. Because obviously we know by data, that people are getting killed in interior operations. They're getting trapped um, and you know, they're basically dying from getting trapped doing search and rescue, fire advancement, and they're dying of suffocation because you're getting in, you get trapped. RIT teams aren't getting in there fast enough and we're dying because of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so important to know the building construction, right? Yeah. I mean, if you're working with a legacy home, or and something you can work in versus, um, you know, something where potentially you show up, like you said, the roof's caved in or you don't realize about the basement and the, the floor's caved into the basement already. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah, well, unfortunately we've lost too many that way. And, you know, we talk about the rollover stage and we got data that's showing that, you know, residential structures, you know, the roof, we're having roof collapse, you know, mm-hmm. around the 15, 18 minute marks. And like I say, where are you at in the operation at 15 to 18 minutes? And it's taking all of this into uh, perspective, but we don't know that information if we're not going out and getting educated, if we're not taking the, the time. And I'm not saying that you have to go take a class. You don't have to go mm-hmm. to the National Fire Academy. You don't have to go to the Wisconsin Firefighter Conference, which are all, don't get me wrong, they're all good conferences, yeah, and I'm not trying to discredit them. But you can get educated by taking five minutes on your computer or your iPad while you're watching TV and look at a quick article on one of the many trade magazines. Mm-hmm. You can listen to the uh, podcast. You can do a lot of different things to get educated because I know time is precious and mm-hmm. you've got 101 things going on. But like I always tell my students, can you ever get enough training for a job that's going to ki- uh, possibly kill you someday? Right, right. Can you train hard enough? I don't think so. <laughs> and it's just, what would you do for five minutes? I sit there and watch TV. Could we have done this? Could we have done that? So it's all these little things. It doesn't take a lot of time, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of ways that we can become educated in a lot of these things. Right, right. 
That's awesome. Well, it sounds like you're really enjoying your your uh, opportunity here to be an instructor at Blackhawk. Uh, tell me a little bit about how you uh, got into this role and what got you interested in the fire service in the first place. Well, I started my career back when I was in high school. Um, I was, you know, first semester, and I actually started my career in emergency services on the EMS side. Um, the local ambulance organization, I don't remember who kind of came and recruited me on, uh, but I actually took my EMT class first. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the second half of my senior year, I'm actually running and, you know, doing public service and, and, and running with the EMS. I wanted, I always wanted to get on the fire side, but after high school, I went into college. Um, and I was fortunate enough that when I went to college that I was able to get on uh, the EMS organization first up there. So I was still making uh, responses during my college years. Mm-hmm. Um, the fire department there had a rule you had to be 21 to get on. Mm-hmm. So once I turned 21, I got on their fire department. It was with them for probably two and a half years. This is Platteville? Over in Platteville. Yep, yep correct. Uh, so I was in Platteville Fire Department for about two and a half years. And then my senior year with stuff going on, I, you know, classes were a couple days here and there. So I actually moved back home, um, still stayed on Platteville while I was here, but then I actually got hired um, in Monroe okay. um, to pay down call firefighter. There. Nice. Cool. So at that point, I was doing double duty, going back through. And then once, once I was done with college, then I stayed. I, I got off Platteville Fire and EMS and just stayed with Monroe. Okay. Now, does, did uh, Monroe have career and paid on call, or was it just paid on call at that time? At the time when I got hired, there was only one full-time, and that was the chief. Okay. Uh, they added a second position, which was doing fire inspections and public education. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I, I stayed in that role as a paid on call, um, I believe it's still 2004. Mm-hmm. So, for about uh, three, four years, I was a paid on call firefighter mm-hmm. for Monroe. Uh, after Monroe, um, uh, how many years were you on there then? Um, I was actually um, paid on call firefighter um, until 2004. In 2004, I got hired um, full time as a, de- a battalion chief at the time in okay. charge of inspections and prevention. Okay. And then eventually getting promoted to deputy chief. Sure. And then was the interim fire chief for a period of time. Awesome. And I did that for roughly 15 years. Awesome. Well, 15 years. Mm-hmm. So that's a good amount of time there. Oh, okay. All right, so yeah, you got quite a few years uh, uh, fire service experience. Um, you know, so you've got some good background there for when you're instructing and good use case stories. I would mm-hmm. say, well, here's here's a situation that happened in the real life. One of the the things that we're struggling with in the fire service is mental health awareness. I believe the month of May right now is some sort of mental health awareness month. And um, it's a big deal right now in the fire service. We see a lot of stuff. There's a lot of things that stick with us. Um, you, you and I have both seen our, our crazy things over time, right? Uh, I've got 20 some years on the department in Columbus now. And um, one thing that we aren't always very good at and is talking about these things and maybe reaching out and talking to others about, um, you know, what things stick and what maybe we're having a hard time processing and things like that. So we always want to make sure that, um, you know, we're, we're keeping an eye out for these things. We're helping our brothers and sisters in the fire service, making sure that we're fit to fight fire. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell me a little bit about, about your story and um, some of the challenges that you've overcome. Well, one of the things um, 
especially with the National Fire Academy, when I go through and give my introduction, I I, I tell my story. Um, I don't do this, and I'm not the type of person that would always want, you know, a pat on the back, like, oh, poor pity lane. Mm-hmm. Um, I do this because a lot of us are hurting um, in multiple different avenues. So I, I share my story, and, and we talk about the different stories. And I, I share quite a bit when I teach because I've screwed up a lot. Um, but the only way I learned was by screwing up. So if I can share with that, and I'm very open about a lot of things. So what I'm going to share with you here, I'll, I'll be open with. I'm not going to give all the details, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just one of the ways that in my healing process, um, because we still have a lot of healing that goes on. We're never totally healed from this. So um, talking with mental health, it, it happened within the first year of my career um, as an EMS. Um, I was home from college, um, and it was around homecoming time, and we started out with a, a bad car accident, a car versus chartered school bus, and unfortunately, two high school kids got killed. Um, I dealt with that. That was the first real trauma, real uh, traumatic death that I had dealt with. Uh, that was on a Saturday night, dealt with that, you know, had some issues. So the next day, I uh, had another bad car accident where an individual burned to death in a car from a car accident. So I had um, three fatalities probably within a 24-hour period. Wow. Not a whole lot was said at the time back then um, because we didn't address it like we used to. And I went to went to back to college, and I was uh, playing college football at the time, and I just had a lot of aggression. I had a lot of... Um, frustration. Um, I ended up not going to practice. I didn't go to any of my classes. I just sat in my room and, and started drinking. Um, my college roommate at the time, his mom was an EMT. His sister was an EMT and his dad was a, was a cop. Um, so he knew what was going on right away. And at first he didn't really say or do much about it, but then he came back and made a couple phone calls and I believe it was like on a Wednesday, somebody actually came and got me um, to start going through this process, you know, dealing with the, with the stress and the and the trauma that I had seen and, and dealt with. So that was my first episode with you know dealing with our you know stressful mm-hmm. mental health mental wellness. But then as we get in the fireside, you know, there's a lot of things that we saw, and especially being a, a chief officer, uh, I dealt with it quite a bit because I didn't want everybody else to have to see it, deal with it. So if we got in a bad situation, be like, okay, you guys, you know, go back to the truck or go back to the station, I'll I'll handle it. And so that was kind of my role dealing with uh, the death uh, situations and so forth. But then we dealt with in 2004, no, I'm sorry, 2007, uh, we had a firefighter fatality um, in Monroe. Uh, David Allen Roofer was a good friend of mine. Um, great guy did a lot for the fire service he was actually involved with the research um i believe it was called safe extrication where they go down to the milwaukee mile and they'd actually cut cars apart um dealing you know with extrication and how um, automotive technology was affecting the fire service and that so he was he would he had a vision and had a um if i say a mission Mm -hmm. of what he wanted to do and he was very good at it um it was, a, it was a warm night. We were doing training. We, we minimized training to different periods. We just got done with the period. And the training for the night was um, water fighting with, you know, water ball. Oh, fun. So it, it was a fun activity. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were fully packed up um, on air and everything. And we just got done with the break. And we were picking up to do the last evolution. And um, 
David went to the hydrant to pick it up and collapsed and had a heart attack. Uh-huh. And I took that really hard, really personal, um, in dealing with the emotions of the next three, four days of, you know, prepping the department for the funeral and getting equipment ready and dealing with the funeral and the whole nine yards. And the biggest thing that was going through my mind at the time was uh, those of us in the fire service know that usually when there's a fatality, especially in training, somebody's going to most likely get fired, you know, and, mm-hmm. and if you look at history in the fire service, that typically happens. Mm-hmm. So here I am at a, a young age and I'm like, this is my passion and David died and I'm going to, lose my job um that didn't happen and so we kept on going and going and going and one of the things that i never did with david's death was properly handle it mm-hmm. you know we're always talking fire service to sit there and you go on a call you see death you put it in that file you put it in the fi- you know filing cabinet mm-hmm. and you go on to the next we move on and we don't typically process that we don't typically handle it correctly mm-hmm. and we just move on um and you know a lot of things had gone gone on um i'd gone through some bad times in my life obviously um i had let the job control me um and it ruined a lot of things um i ended up getting a divorce over it had some other issues going on um we had a call that it was on Friday afternoon. We ended up having a, a bad car accident. We lost three high school kids out of the whole ordeal. Um, it was just just a bad, bad call. And I was getting ready um, to go away for the weekend, but I knew I had you know paperwork and everything to do. I, had a, I was interim chief at the time. I was trying to make sure that the firefighters were taken care of, but yeah, I wasn't taking care of myself. Mm-hmm. So I'm doing paperwork, I do paperwork, you know, get that upset stomach, go take care of business, go back to work. Uh-huh. And, you know, I'm sitting there checking on everybody else, but, you know, the hardest thing was is, yeah, this typically happens is, what about the chief officers? What about the officers? And, you know, you don't get checked on. Mm-hmm. Um, so over time, that was really bad. And I trying to make it through the week and we had an officer's meeting and I told them straight on, I'm like, I need help. I can't do this because I was withdrawing. I was sitting at home, you know, not eating, you know, all the typical signs of the stress that we deal with. Um, I probably would have been drinking, but being on call, you know, I couldn't, Mm -hmm. couldn't be drinking. Um, So I walked into the high school on Monday or on, sorry, Friday, um, Friday morning. And I saw the individual and like, Hey, Lane, how you doing? And I just lost it, broke down in the hallway as kids are passing. And I know they're looking at me, mm-hmm. but I didn't care. And they got me in to see um, the counselor because they had, you know, counselors there uh, for all the students, you know, with the, mm-hmm. the death and everything. And you sit there and I sat in their office for about two hours, just sobbing and getting all these emotions out because you find over time, you know, it just keeps on building and building and building. So I dealt with that. Um, I ended up getting referred. And even the counselor said, we forgot about you guys. And we had the debriefing, you know, and everybody does, you know, but you know, what do you get out of it? There's so much uh, going on. Um, So I ended up going to see a a psychiatrist at the Monroe Clinic, um, Dr. Phelps, an amazing, amazing person. And she actually, you know, diagnosed me with PTSD, which I'm not afraid to say. Um, and she got me through and quickly realized that all of the things over all the years, you file it away, 
you don't deal with it, you don't process it, you mm -hmm. don't work through it, and you move on to the next. Over time, this is where we get, you know, in the fire and EMS service, such a high suicide rate mm -hmm. is that we keep on going. Mm -hmm. And uh, like I said, up in La Crosse, there were many nights when I was going through this, you know, when I wasn't on call, I was drinking. Mm -hmm. I had a gun right next to me multiple times, ready to end everything because I was just tired of it. Luckily, I didn't do it. I'm, I'm here right. today. Right. My life has changed. Things are a lot better. But it took me to finally realize I got to go get help because I could not handle it on my own. And I think in the fire service, we do that is we have that macho appearance. We have that macho image, ego, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. I don't need help. Right. What What's that, you know? What's that doctor going to tell me? Right. They're going to put me on medicine. I was on medicine. I didn't want to, but it helped control my emotions, kept me on a level keel or level area, and I didn't hit rock bottom. I didn't hit high, but I never hit rock bottom. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the things that, you know, I share the story because as officers, and even as firefighters, we got to watch our brothers and sisters because we got to look for these signs. Right. We may not show it, and I, I was really good about putting that front up if everything was good, but as soon as I was behind closed doors, totally different ballgame. Mm -hmm. And what really got me, and um, some of the firefighters saw this, is we were setting up for an event, and I was at home, and I knew this individual, a firefighter, was coming over because they dropped some stuff off, but I never heard him come down the driveway, and I was in a low point. Mm -hmm. I was sitting there just bawling my eyes out, and all of a sudden I hear a knock on the back door was here mm -hmm. you know i'm like i wasn't expecting him well how do you how do you clean up quick right. and put that face on right and he saw it and so we talked for quite a while well then he went down back to another event and told a bunch of the other guys well next thing you know i got all these firemen calling me i got people coming to the house you okay that's when they actually saw i was in trouble mm -hmm. but i started getting help and you know work through it mm -hmm. so that's why i keep on telling my story and as you can tell, it's hard to talk about still. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I share that because do you have a firefighter like that in the firehouse now that's struggling? Mm -hmm. um, have they processed these bad calls? Do they need help? Do we need to get them in? And most departments have a, an employee assistance program. And we have all these resources that are available. But if, Dan, you don't tell me you need help, I can't give you that resource. Right. I can't go to you and say, Dan, here's all these resources. Go get help. You have to come, and as soon as you say, I need help, boom, we have all these resources for you. But sometimes it's so much of, okay, drop the ego. Drop that tough man, tough girl, whatever, macho look, attitude, whatever. And we're all human. Right. You know, yeah, we're we're a different breed. People are coming out of a burning house. We go in. We, do, we see people at their worst time. And the thing is, we're human. we got to deal with that. Right. So having the support of your family, significant other kids, you have a, a doctor, a psychiatrist, yeah. counselor you go talk to, maybe it's a local you know, priest, minister, whatever it may mm -hmm. be, having somebody that you can talk to to get this out because the more we keep it inside, the worse it's going to get. Mm -hmm. Our suicide rates for fire and EMS and law are going to keep skyrocketing. Get the help you need right. you know, and deal with it right away. So if it means instead of, you know, dealing with it, go for a walk, take the dog for a walk, take the kids for a walk, go to the gym and work out, do something instead of sitting at home and isolating yourself or like I was, I had, <laughs> I had a couple of people say to me, he goes, um, Lane, you got nothing in your fridge. Yeah, I got stuff in my fridge. You have no food in your fridge. 
I'm like, yeah, but I got the importance. I got, I got hydration. I got my beer. I got my liquor. I got my pop. He goes, you got no garbage, but your recyclable bin is full of liquor bottles and beer cans. I'm good. So right there is a, a sign like, hey, this ain't good. Right. You know, when I sit there and you do that and you sit there and you got a gun right next to you, you know, waiting at any minute to pull the trigger. You sit there. And I think this touches home with a lot of people is I was so close that I had an envelope with a local funeral home name on it. And I had all my arrangements written out. That says a lot there. But with the help of Dr. Phelps and people supporting, I got through it. I got a great life now. I'm happy to say things have turned around. And I don't regret that time. But I wish I would have handled it differently. Sure. Because I think things, the path I was going down was not the right path. I could have been going somewhere else. And there are people that tried reaching out to help. But I shut them out. And I tell people, you can't do that. Just talk, vent, whatever. They're there to help you. They care about you. Don't try to do it yourself. Right. One of the things I've heard it a phrase to me as is as as you talked about that compounding effect is, you know, when we we get injured on the job, we injured our arm or our leg or something, we go to the doctor and um, we work we work through it with, you know, therapy, right? Um, we're, we, when we work out our muscles and it, it's an injury that we had that we're overcoming. And this is really the same thing. Um, we're going to help people on their worst day and you're all automatically in the lives of those that, that the worst day of those folks that you're helping and that can be an injury mm-hmm. on us right one other thing we have to look at too and it's not just the ones that have been in the service forever take a look at those rookies you know they've never experienced this before and we as more veterans, firefighters, can't sit there and be like, okay, suck it up, buttercup. This right. is what you're getting into. You can't do that because we're hurt right now as a fire service or public safety in general. Mm-hmm. And if we tell this guy, gal, whoever, to say, suck it up, we just lost a great opportunity. And we may lose that firefighter going out the door. And mm-hmm. our numbers are low anyway. So... It's taking this and implementing it in to the younger generation too. Like, okay, you're starting your career out. You're going to see stuff that you don't want to see, but this is how we take care of it and take lessons that we've learned, mistakes that we've made, and try to hope they don't do the same thing. You know, and that's why we got all these different programs and all the different things out there. But we got to let them know right away because if we don't, right, we're just going to be hurting ourselves. And I know a lot of departments are starting to look more into their like health and wellness type mm-hmm. programs. Columbus, we're starting to put together a group of, of folks that are making sure that, uh, you know, there is information available for people that have someone to talk to. I think it's important, too, for some departments, like you mentioned, having like a, like a chaplain or a priest or mm-hmm. a pastor that can be involved in the service because what i've been told is you know some of the members if they are struggling in something they may not want to go to that other firefighter or officer to say yeah i'm having an issue dealing with this Mm -hmm. even though that other person you're talking to have will have all good intentions it's just that like you said that thought of they're going to think less of me but if you can have someone in that department who understands the people it's not a stranger that you're just calling up someone but at the same time aren't involved in the tactical level of things 
that's a good person that you could make her reach out to and talk about things. Yeah, I, I had two two great people. If you look about that, we had one as our department chaplain, uh, Father Mike Clare. Um, he grew up in the firehouse. Wow. His dad was on the department. He was down there as a, if I want to say, a little rug rat running around cleaning stuff up. So he grew up in the fire service um, and knew about it. And then um, just most recently, you know, the pastor at our church, it was Pastor David Meyer. He was actually a full, uh, full-time full firefighter in Byron, Illinois, and then went into the ministry and was still working as chaplain. So, you know, when I had bad days, you know, I could always call him up and make, hey, I, I need to talk. And he knew what was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and sometimes you look at these people, they don't know what we do. They haven't experienced it. So, yeah, mm-hmm. if you can get these people that know, you know, and go from there, it just mm-hmm. makes everything so much, so much better. Yeah. So. I know a lot of times, too, departments, like, sometimes it, they'll only trigger these things in action at, like, a debriefing session. Mm-hmm. If there's, like, a dealing with a fatality or something like that, which is good. But, you know, and I've been in numerous part of those and I actually find it very helpful because uh, for me, sometimes after like experience a bad car accident or something like that, uh, in the heat of the moment, it's just my training kicks in and I don't think about it until maybe the next day. Mm -hmm. And, And then a day or two later is when you have that and you can hear the stories of everybody else. And, um... You learn to, I learned to understand what feelings are okay to go through after that, mm-hmm. right? And I think that was, was very helpful. So. Well, and when you talk about these feelings and, and how they, what we see, what we experience, yeah, they come back and mostly play with your mind. You know, unfortunately, um, the, this past weekend, um, Mineral Point Fire Department went out to the National Fire Academy for the memorial. You know, they lost two firefighters. And so I was uh, talking with Chief um, Mar um, a couple weeks ago. So even when they sat there and came back on the Sunday, he told me what their travel schedule was. Now, I started thinking back when we went to honor David. And all those emotions start coming back. And... I broke down a little bit because we're sitting there honoring our fallen brothers and sisters. And we sit there and I'm like, I know what I went through. I want to help the other ones be like, hey, you know, if you want to talk, I'm here thinking of Mineral Point Fire right now. You know, tough time, you know, reliving all those emotions. Um, Like I said, David died in 2007. It's 2023. And I still... Obviously, you can tell it's emotional because I think back of everything we went through in the memorial and how special it was and the environment we were in to honor him. So these these feelings, these emotions, they come back. It's not uncommon. So you're going to have your good days, have bad days. You're going to see stuff that triggers it. Mm -hmm. Um, It just happens. Is there any advice that you have um, to someone who may be on a department right now? Um, if they, not necessarily that that's a person that's struggling, but a person who thinks someone might be struggling uh, on on some ways that they could help approach that person. Yeah, if you're on the side where you see somebody, you know, the biggest thing is, you know, show, show some compassion. Mm-hmm. Ask them, not in front of everybody, I mean, pull them off to the side and just say, hey, I noticed, I noticed X, Y, Z. You know, you're not acting yourself, and you, you kind of bring it up. Mm-hmm. You know, is everything okay? And the biggest thing I can say is don't pry. Because if you pry, that's going to shut that person down mm-hmm. more. But to say, 
hey, I noticed this. Are you okay? Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk? You know, and just offer your your listening ears to let them talk. They may say no, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. But just offer that to them because maybe that's what they need because they don't know where to go. And then maybe check back in later. Mm-hmm. If you see someone that's, you know, withdrawing, they don't show up for calls where they used to or they're right. off on their own and stuff like that, check in with them. Yeah. And just say, well, that's not my job. That's the officer's job. That's a chief. No, it's everybody's job. Yeah. And then, you know, if you're not in a, an administration or an officer role, you know, just maybe let the chief know saying, hey, I noticed on firefighter so-and-so, I attempted to reach out, got nowhere, maybe do a follow-up. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and just go that route. And, and when you look at it from, say, a, an officer position, a fire chief position, Maybe it's a good idea to know what resources do I have in my arsenal that I can provide. A lot of the communities will have the employee assistant program. Right. But some people are getting rid of that because it's costing them money for something that they're not using. Right. So it's a good idea to know what resources you have available because Mm -hmm. you don't know what you're going to need. Have them written down somewhere like in in a file. Um, So if you have somebody and you're like, okay, you need help, you need a counselor, Boom, this is where we need to go. This is what we need to do, need to do and be well-versed. Don't mm-hmm. try to wing it. Um, make sure you have your ducks in a row so you mm-hmm. know what help you can get them right away. Right, right. I know there's some things like uh, the National Volunteer Fire Council has like a hotline you can call. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess it's making sure that, and I'm talking to myself, but I say this too, do I know where this information is right away if I need to get it, right? Yeah. For, for myself because else, so. in the heat of the moment, you know, it's a lot of it's muscle memory. Mm-hmm. We know that on calls, you know, you got to do this, you got to do this. We just do it. Mm-hmm. We don't deal with the mental side of it. Right. So it's like having that file in your file cabinet or in your desk drawer or whatever mm-hmm. that you can just go pull it out. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of one of these, and I hate to use this for example, but, you know, you get a line of duty death. There are certain procedures that need to be done. If they're not followed, it can be detrimental to mm-hmm. the, you know, the outcome, you know, for the family, if it's a line of duty death or if it's not. Right. You know, so hopefully, you know, fire chiefs have a file with the most up-to-date, if you want to say, protocols or standards that if you, you pray to God, nobody ever has to experience those. But mm-hmm. if you do, you can go right to your desk drawer, pull out the line of duty folder, and start going through step by step by step. Mm-hmm. Because if you miss a step or don't do something, that could be detrimental in the right. end. Right, right. So having those resources or that file, you hopefully you never have to use them, but you have the file and the resources ready to go Right. at the drop of a hat. Wow. Well, your, your message here is really powerful, and I just want to thank you for having the courage to, to share that message. And um, I think that, that takes a lot. It really does. Yeah. It, usually when I share, you know, it helps me in the healing process, even though it, it, it scrapes those wounds. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of people, you know, one or two typically, thank you. Mm-hmm. I needed to hear that. And if I I tell that not to have a pity pity party for myself, sure. but I do that so I can help others to say, hey, we're all human. We need help. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, you know, that's what it is. If I can help somebody with that or mm-hmm. get them in the right direction, get out of that rut mm-hmm. and turn their life around like I was able to, then I did my job. I may never see this person again, and I don't, you know, I don't need to or a letter or anything, but. If I could know I'm trying to change the life or make somebody's life better, right? Then I'm I'm okay with that. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, well, thank you. Um, so, 
I got to uh, to hear, you know, part of the story too um, through the uh, class that I took through the National Fire Academy, and I want to just talk just a little bit about that and and your and your role in that. So, I recently, you know, became an officer. It'll be about two years now, um, role captain right now. But uh, I was hungry for some more tactical type information, right? Mm-hmm. Where sometimes I I'm pretty sure I know what to do on a fire scene and whatever, but sometimes I want that reinforcement or I want to know a different angle of how someone handled it differently. And through the Wisconsin Technical College system, I took fire officer one, finished fire officer two, all good courses. Mm-hmm. But I thought the technical portion of this class that I took was, was awesome. You did a really good job um, going through those those modules and applying real life stories to some of the tactics there. And so I would encourage anyone, if you're in an officer position and uh, you're fairly new like I am, uh, to go on and take was it the officer company officer tactics? I think that one strategy and tactics. Strategy and tactics for the company yeah. officer. Or sticko as they call it. Right, right. So, well, how often are you teaching those types of classes? Uh, it varies. Um, how the process goes and teaching for the fire academy is obviously we break it up into quarters, um, and they'll send a, a call list out and say, okay, these are all the classes available for October, November, December. Mm-hmm. And it depends. Typically, uh, being that I teach in the incident management uh, curriculum, typically October, January, I'm sorry, October, November, December, January, mm-hmm. February, and March are the busiest times because all the classes are all lecture, mm-hmm. um, sit down. There's mm-hmm. no hands-on um, like cut cards part or anything like mm-hmm. that. So that's when you see a lot of people taking these classes. The spring and summer, people would rather be outside, which is which is good. So it depends on area. It depends on uh, the number of classes that are offered. The fire academy will give each state um, X amount of classes, and that varies depending on size and uh, mm-hmm. different formulas. But like for the state of Wisconsin, I believe they get nine free classes a year. Okay, and that could be a wide variety of any of the curriculum classes that the National Fire Academy has. So there could be a chance where there's no incident management classes, or the I shouldn't say that there may be chances that the three classes that I teach in the program may not be offered in the state of Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. They could be nine other classes which is fine or there could be a year where there's a bunch of them at the same time right um so it just varies on what uh, the colleges what departments want because if a department wants a specific class they would contact typically their um, tech college in their region they put a call in or put paperwork in that goes to um, denise sherry or angie at the state then they send that uh, once a year, they send all those requests up to the um, National Fire Academy. Okay. Then it comes out for a year at a time. Here are all the classes that are going to be offered. Now, I know, um, like the fire instructors, they are allotted a couple classes. The state firefighters are allotted a couple classes. Mm-hmm. So out of those, I believe, nine that we get, some of them are already called for. Mm-hmm. So for Blackhawk to say, well, we want to offer xyz class you could have all the other districts putting in and now they have to shuffle around and say okay we're gonna give a class to here we're gonna give a class there and spread it out gotcha so it's a process um but it it all depends and we're in a good area especially in southern wisconsin that you could look at wisconsin illinois iowa 
Minnesota and look around the area and say, okay, what NFA classes are there? Mm -hmm. Because when the National Fire Academy gives the state these classes, they're free of charge. You know, you're putting your own time in to go. Um, the only thing is, if you look at Illinois, um, Iowa, Minnesota, or any other state, they're most likely going to take in-state personnel first. Mm -hmm. And if there's openings, then we go. I was in um, Minnesota teaching, and it was a full class, mm -hmm. but I had a firefighter from Arizona really? that flew up, and he needed this class for promotional and he said there's a kind of a waiting period when he put in. But I've had others where we're in the area and you could have somebody, you know, like I said, Arizona coming to Minnesota or, you know, traveling far distances mm -hmm. because they need the class one for a degree, promotional process, or mm -hmm. many other reasons. Um, I had one, well, we wanted to come up here just because we wanted to get away for a weekend. You know, take a little vacation. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you're going somewhere cold to go somewhere, or somewhere warm to go somewhere <laughs> cold. I don't get it. But, you know, you get a wide variety like that. So right. depending on where the classes are, and like I said, the three that I teach in the management, it just depends. Mm -hmm. um, but then there's a whole variety, mm -hmm. a whole catalog of classes that the state could pick from mm -hmm. to offer. Um to the area. So what are the other two courses that you offer through the um, In the incident management, I do the strategy and tactics for the company officer, the preparedness for the incident company officer, and the decision making. Typically, what you'll see is strategy and tactics, or STICO, and uh, decision making, or DMICO. Mm -hmm. uh, those are two common ones. I've got to be honest with you, the favorite class I like teaching is the preparedness for the company officer because it takes a, a officer like yourself that is ready to make that transition or just has made the transition and are you prepared? Do you mm -hmm. know this, this, and this? And it gets you in the preparedness of a new company officer to say, I didn't know this, I didn't know this, and it just gets a whole development or the base mm -hmm. foundation of what you're going to be doing more in your career. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times you miss that. Um, so we'll take the strategy and tactics and the decision making, but we don't know what the foundation is of what do we need to know? You know, we talk about company readiness mm -hmm. and the company officer, is your company ready? And, you know, stuff like that, that we don't talk about. And then you wonder why new officers or acting officers or, you know, people jump in that, you know, front left, uh, right seat when we get failures, mm -hmm. we have mistakes and you wonder why. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some of this class kind of addresses some of those things. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, that's probably my favorite class to teach, okay. but the least taught class. Yeah. So it's not bad. So, you know, speaking about, you know, uh, getting officers ready to, uh, for, for, for the calls that they go on. Any advice that you have? I think a lot right now in a lot of different departments, there is a, a lot of freshly newer folks getting into officer roles. Mm -hmm. Um, I was on the department for 20 years before I, I took on the, 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 some would say the headache red hat, but <laughs> yeah, I, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it so far, but, um, you know, what are things, you know, some of these some departments are, they're, they're struggling to get volunteers. They're taking on the role of being an officer is a lot of work. Mm -hmm. It really is. I, I enjoy it, but it is a lot of work when you have a full-time job and then you make your own drills and then you're in charge of training drills and then you're doing reports on the incidents that you have it uh, it is a significant uh, jump in the amount of work you're responsible for and then playing you know of course the the role on the fire ground mm -hmm. uh, where you have to make this split second decisions on things uh, for someone who you know may have only been on for 
five years and all of a sudden they're wearing a red hat. Uh, do you have any advice on on those those roles and, and those folks to get them ready? Yeah, and we're and we're hitting that very frequently because especially on the career side, you have an older generation that are now retiring off, and you got the younger generation, and some of them are having to fill that spot quicker than you know originally planned. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously, we all know with the state of Wisconsin, one of the requirements are to be an officer, you have to take the officer class. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be a certification, but you have to attend take the, the class. class. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of good learning in that. Um, so prepare yourself. Mm-hmm. Do you know what the before you say, yep, I want the red helmet, I want the white helmet, I want to sit in the front right seat, I want to talk on the radio, hit the air horn, hit the cue sign, whatever it is, mm-hmm. you have to realize there's a lot more than that. Mm-hmm. Some of the problems that we have, and, I, and I've seen this in bringing the new younger officers up, is what kind of learning have they had? You know, is there a system in place? You know, as so much as, okay, you get your red helmet today, you get a call, you know, as we record this, it's it's 425. Mm-hmm. You get, I give you your red helmet at 430 at five o'clock, we get a report of a structure fire. I, as, a, as a chief officer, I don't want you in that front seat. Right. Because you're not prepared. Mm-hmm. Do you, have you gone through, you know, you go through a recruit process, learning how to put your gear on and the department policies. There should be an officer boot camp that gives you, shoot, here's how you fill out the paperwork. Here's how you fill out Nippers report. Here's how you call for times. This is blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And you get prepared. So then you work up and maybe you start on the back uh, back trucks or not the second or third truck out mm-hmm. before you hop in there. I remember you know, I was told, I don't want to see you in the front, front seat. But then when I made that transition from the second, third, fourth truck out and got, you know, first engine out, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, this is, a, this is a big deal. You know, mm-hmm. you know there's a lot of stuff going on here. Um, so it's like knowing the responsibilities and know what goes in because you want the helmet, you want the radio, you want the responsibility, but you know what goes along with the job. Mm-hmm. Do you know that you now are a leader, you know, and people look up to you and now it's going to be a change of, you know, you go back to that book, Buddy to Boss. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can be with them, but now you have to be, the, you know, you're their boss. Mm-hmm. So how do we work that in the, the interpersonal relationships that go on and, all, you know, it's all that stuff. And it's a lot that gets thrown at these new um, officers, but it's like, were you prepared? Mm-hmm. You know, did the previous, the chief or the captain, lieutenant, are they mentoring you? Mm-hmm. You know, I had a great mentor. Mm-hmm. You know, they taught me a lot and I made a lot of mistakes. Not going to lie about it. You know, which I told you in the class, you right, know, right. I'm, te- I'm telling you this because I want you to learn from my mistakes so you don't do the same thing. But with that mentor, it's like I learned, okay, this is what you need to do to be successful as an officer. Mm -hmm. And then you look at others that aren't successful and you wonder why, in which way do you want to go? Mm -hmm. So it's being prepared. It's being educated. Mm -hmm. Like I talked about, you go to classes, you read up on stuff, technology's changing, you stay up to speed because we can't stay status quo. Because even as we're sitting here doing this podcast, you have people out there making new weapons of mass destruction. You have people out there engineering new metals in cars. You have, you know, new this, new that. And we're not up to speed on it. Right. You know, and reactionary. (laughs) Yeah, very reactionary. And a lot of it is not our fault. 
because we're not give you know we don't we're not given the information mm-hmm. or we're not given the right tools you know because how many departments for the longest time probably couldn't cut some of these cars apart with the new metals that are in there mm-hmm. or have the education on the new you know electric cars and what to do what not to do and you know it's keeping yourself up so now you have to take your game to the next level as an officer because now you're not doing the work you're having somebody work through you to get this strategy or tactic completed mm-hmm. And do you know what's right, what's wrong? Right. And you know how to, you know, there's, so there's a lot going in there. So just don't sit there and be like, I want that helmet. I want that position. We have to be prepared for it and make sure I mean, we have our ducks in a row. For me, the biggest thing is it, it's it's not about a rank or a title. Um, it's about being in a position to better serve those that are in the back seats. Mm-hmm. I think the best job you can have on the fireground is being on the nozzle. But <laughs> yeah. um, uh, I, I think it's, you know, those in that position that I'm and I'm learning this is that, uh, you know, it's all about the firefighter and making sure that um, we're doing tactics that are going to be effective, but safe. Good advice that I got from uh, one of the captains that was in our department was, uh, hey, you get that red helmet. Um, that red helmet is not to be feared, but it's also not to be a friend. Mm-hmm. So. Well, a lot of it too is you talk about respect. Yeah, it's not given; it's earned. Right. So now that oh, I got a red helmet, I got a white helmet. You must respect me. Well, I can respect the position, but I don't have to respect the person. Right. You have to earn the respect. Right. And your actions will determine are you going to be successful or not. Yeah. And so, I'm a, I'm of the opinion too that true leaders don't necessarily wear white or red helmets on the fire ground. This could be black helmets mm-hmm. out there too. There's a lot of great leaders, a lot of great people with knowledge and experience that are still wearing the black, yellow, whatever mm-hmm. helmet it is that aren't officers. Right. And the thing is, they realize, I don't want to be an officer. I want to do this job. And mm-hmm. you see a lot of people that are great firefighters and they want to take that next step to an officer and they fail miserably because it's a leadership and working with people and so forth. And it's like, no, you know, you were great at the fire, but that transition is very difficult. Mm -hmm. And some people never make it. Some Mm -hmm. people work through it. But, yeah, there's a lot of great people out there that are leaders that are knowledgeable that just want to be firefighters. And there is nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And I hate using the word just firefighter because it's a very important role. It is, yes, yeah. it's, It's, It's critical. It is the critical role on the fire department. Right. And and uh, another thing that, you know, we talk amongst us officers sometimes too is regardless of the helmet, we're all firefighters. Mm-hmm. For firefighter first, right? Yep. <laughs> yep. So, okay. I think uh, that is our time for today. Okay. Boy, I could, I got other topics here I could talk with you all day on. <laughs> I'd love it. I, I, this has been great. I appreciate the time. Yeah. I'll be more than happy to do this anytime again with you. Awesome. Well, I might take you up on that. Okay. So thank you. Thanks again so much for taking the time to talk with me today. And, and thank you for your message. And um, if you hear this and it, and it strikes something with you or brings up, you know, thoughts of, of knowing some that might need help uh, share share this please share this podcast with others we want this message to help people uh, we want to care about our, our brothers and sisters in the fire service so all right thank you thank you